the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. AM 1220 KDOW presents Money 2.0. Money 2.0. Now, shedding light on your portfolio and helping you make it grow. Here's certified financial planner and Money 2.0 host, Chad Burton. Welcome into Money 2.0. I am your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. It must be a Monday. As a CFP, I could take your questions on taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing, any money question besides the individual stock buy, hold, or sell. Save that for Rob Black in the morning, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on the station. All other money questions, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Or email me. Catching up a lot of listener emails. I show a lot of good questions lately. Chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. Let's talk a little bit about the markets real quick. We've got an interesting day. I mean, it was a really interesting Monday. We had markets opening lower, and then, again, towards the end of the day, I had that buying on dip mentality. So, and this was really, you know, over the weekend, you had stories of more bird flu issues in China, yet you had the Nikkei up 2.8% on Japan's friendly monetary policy. Now, it's at least friendly to Japan, because as Japan basically prints a ton of money to try to stimulate their economy and if you know the the demographics of Japan is not pretty but right now it's a major trade going on where it's very very low interest rates pumping up the economies are trying to get things going over there so the markets are finally rallying for the first time in a long time in Japan now i would be very very weary of this being a long term trade because of the demographic issues so a um, lot of older people in Japan. But with that said, it's now a currency war that we are starting to see. And, and we'll probably see China have a little bit tougher time with this situation because of all the, the, the outsourcing that might go to Japan and a lot of Japanese goods being jumped dumped in China, that, that type of thing. It's going to be a little rough couple of quarters, I think, for China. Long term, the number of consumers – that China has is very, very attractive. Very, very attractive. It's a very consumer-based transition that's going on in China, as I've mentioned before. So the S&P 500 up 0.6%, the Dow up 0.3%, NASDAQ up 0.6% today. And, uh, you know, it's pretty light volume until right at the final hour of trading. So, yeah, another light volume day in this. We're kind of in this period now. The market doesn't know where which way to go until earnings start to come in. Uh, there was a sell-off in Johnson and Johnson. Uh, J.P. Morgan downgraded. I'll talk about that in a minute. But speaking of J.P. Morgan, nothing is really important this week until we get 
to the earnings reports of J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo on Friday. That's the real kickoff of the earnings season. Alcoa, eh, you know what? It's you know it's it's the bellwether because it's the first re- to report, but. You know, what Alcoa is doing isn't necessarily going to be indicative of what the global economy is doing. So really what we're looking at is we have two different types of financial financials reporting. Wells Fargo doesn't have the international exposure. JP Morgan that does have the international exposure. So Wells Fargo has been killing it on mortgages. They've been killing it in the increasing wealth management side. A lot of good things going on there. And uh, so – Really want to see what type of volume they had on the mortgages side because remember last time they reported they had an issue with they had so many new deposits, but they're not making money on the traditional style of banking because you got to make money and then turn around and lend it out for business loans and car loans and things like that. They had more deposits than they needed for the other types of stuff, and when you're lending money at so such low rates, it's not really a the, – the traditional form of banking is not a moneymaker right now. We actually need rates to be higher for banks. But the Federal Reserve doesn't want rates to be higher until they see unemployment down around 6.5, 6.75%. They've already told us that. At least that's what they've tried to tell us. Who knows what they'll actually do. But like I said, the real kickoff is this Friday. That's what we're waiting for. And forecasts for first quarter earnings have been scaled back in 2013 throughout the last three months. So in January... Earnings were supposed to be up 4.3% from January, or I'm sorry, from the first quarter of 2012. But by the time we got to now, the expectations are a 1.6% increase in earnings from this period a year ago. So the thought are is the comparables for this quarter and next quarter are going to be pretty tough. So that's, you know, Will companies will, have they lowered the expectations? They're going to come out and beat it again. We'll see. Um, it's going to be very interesting on how much currency talk comes out of CEOs as they report. How much the increase in the strength of the dollar, which causes our goods to look more expensive, how much that's affected companies? Because we look at stock portfolios, look at the S&P 500, and you got 50% at least of the revenue coming from outside of the U.S. So when our dollar goes up, our goods look more expensive. So you had the sequestration issues right along with an increase in the dollar. It's going to make earnings a little bit tougher this time around. Now, we did see advanced micro devices. I mean to look into this, but it jumped 13%. It's pretty much the S&P 500's biggest gainer today. Monster Beverages rose 4.7%. So that kind of helped the S&P Consumer Staples Index, which has been kind of one of the big leaders for the year. That's the thing about this market rally is that you've had all the defensive sectors being the major leaders of the year. It's not the tech and the financials. Well, financials have done okay, but consumer staples, utilities, things like that. That's not the typically leaders in a growth type of a market. And I can't tell you how many times I've read this next one. This one comes from, uh, I think it was a Reuters report on Yahoo Finance. That loose monetary policy from central banks, banks around the world is expected to keep equities attractive. Recently, investors have been using market declines as buying opportunities. So that's the common theme on almost every financial website article that you see out there is that it's the buy-on-dips mentality of the retail investor. I, I, you know, it's really from the cash. A lot of money managers had excess cash going into 2012 because of the headwinds. Sometimes part of wealth management is 
also managing the amount of risk versus return that you're trying to get. So, yeah, you can see the the potential for reward out there, but if there's also a lot of potential for risk, sometimes you keep a little extra cash on hand. So far, that's what's been put back to work in this rally. We have not seen the retail investor selling their bonds going into stocks. That's not happening. I don't care what anybody says. It's not happening. I've seen no proof of it at all. I just had the American Century guy on last week. They haven't seen it in American Century, Bob Gahagan over there. So um, you get to see it at the retail level. And, you know, again, the Bank of Japan just talking about this loose monetary policy. They started its bond purchases on Monday after it announced last week that it will inject about $1.4 trillion into the economy in less than two years. So you've got this really weird situation where in the past, central banks were very elusive smoke and mirrors in terms of what they're doing, what assets they're buying, what assets they're selling. They didn't want the market to get in front of them. That's not what's going on these days. This is an experiment. So you're either looking at it as glass half full where, hey, you know what? <clears throat> the glass here. Let me give you the glass half full argument right now. The glass half full argument is that the Federal Reserve, for example, in the U.S. is behind this deal, and they're going to continue to purchase bonds and keep interest rates low and buy other assets – to stimulate the economy until unemployment gets to 6.5%. Once that happens, they'll start to get out of the market. Interest rates will increase, yes. As those bonds mature that they've, that they've bought, they'll take it off the Federal Reserve balance sheet, give it back to the Treasury, and pay back down some of the debt. And in the meantime, our economy will have grown and recovered and we'll be fine. We'll fix the budget deficit issues and uh, we'll, our great politicians will figure out a way to curb the losses that we will absolutely – C and Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. That's the glass half full. Glass half empty is this is an experiment. We don't know how it's going to end. Central banks have been net sellers of gold and pumping, you know, basically printing currency to create this stimulation to the economy and they'll lose control, so you better buy gold. The real answer is typically in between those two wide ends of the spectrum. That's my belief anyways. But I tell you what, I could argue either side. Put me on CNBC, pay me to argue one side or the other, I could do it. So speaking of CNBC, could somebody please ask them to fire Simon? Has anybody ever watched that show? I like Bloomberg better for better uh, in-depth information, but when you watch CNBC early in the morning, this the Simon guy just kills me. Can anybody agree with me on that? 800-516-1220, that that's 800-516-1220. And uh, let's see some other interesting news. Of course, you got GE buying Lufkin Industries, um, another Dow component they, uh, in the oil industry. A um, couple of things that we're going to talk about today. And by the way, if you want to get your calls in there, ask a money question, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. A couple of reminders. First of all, I've got some seminars coming up with Rob Black. The next event that we're doing is Saturday, April 27th, so a couple weeks away on a Saturday. A little easier to get to than our Thursday events, and it's at the Doubletree at the Burlingame, so basically the Doubletree on uh, Airport Boulevard. And we're going to do wealth management and retirement planning in the morning from 9 to noon and Money 101. Basically, if you're trying to get started, create wealth, uh, go to the afternoon if you've got you – know, a large portfolio already, you're trying to really prep for retirement, trying to figure out how to manage the wealth that you've already created, you want to go in the morning. 
And uh, so check that out, newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com or chadburton.com, whatever is easier for you to remember. The second reminder, if you plan on funding any type of an IRA, whether it's a fully deductible IRA, a Roth IRA, or you're making an IRA contribution that's non-deductible, which I'll talk about here in a few minutes, you, you have to have your check postmarked, postmarked by April 15th. Your contribution has to be in by April 15th, even if you are filing an extension. This catches people every single year. They figure, you know what? The first extension, no big deal. I'm just going to file an extension. I'll make my contributions later. If you're making an IRA contribution, no matter what, the check has to be postmarked or in the account by April 15th. So if it's already in the account, you're fine. But you can, as long as you postmark the check to your custodian by April 15th, it should be fully legit. But that means it's paper and boy, you could get caught on that. So I'm going to talk about that. And this is not for SEP IRAs and individual 401ks if you're self-employed. This is regular IRAs and Roth IRAs. I'll talk about the rules and what you should be thinking about. After the break, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. We'll be right back. This is Money 2.0 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome into Money 2.0. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you want to get your calls on the air, ask a money question, 800-516-1220. 800-516-1220. So as I was saying before the break, even if you're filing extensions, if you are going to fund an IRA, Roth IRA, non-deductible IRA, you still have to send the check in by April 15th, even if you're going to file an extension. You don't get an extension on your IRA funding. So which type of IRA is right for you? If you're still trying to decide, if you're trying to do this last minute, if you want to send me an email, chat at chadburton.com, I'll send you a couple of links to the IRS site that, that goes through the different types of filing status, whether single or married, whether you're covered by a plan at work, on, on what the rules are. The irs.gov site is pretty good about telling you. And you can contribute up to $5,000 if you're under 50. If you're over 50 or 50 or over by the end of the year, you could do 6000 for 2012. So... What do you do? Well, in California, you got pretty high taxes, right? Because you've got the state and federal. So if you're really going for a deduction, especially if you're behind in savings, you're probably going to be looking for a deductible IRA. But what if you have a 401k at work or a 403b or any type of plan that you're covered by at work? There's certain limits. For example, if you're single and you make over 58000 or if you're married – making over 92000 you start losing the ability to deduct an IRA contribution. But under that, you're okay. So if you've maxed out your 401k and you're still looking for an extra deduction and you're married filing jointly and your modified adjusted gross income is under 92000 you can still do a fully deductible IRA. you got to look at your modified adjusted gross income. We'll go to irs.gov to figure out what modified AGI means. It's not just that bottom number on the front page of your 1040. It's close, but it's not that number. So you can still do a deductible IRA. Now, let's say you're not covered by a retirement plan at work. Well, then you can do it for any amount. So if you if you work 
for somebody and they don't have any type of a retirement plan at all, 403B, 401K, whatever, then it doesn't matter how much money you make. You can do a fully deductible IRA. And if you live in California and you're in a high tax bracket, it's kind of a no-brainer. But if you're filing an extension, you still need to get that account opened up and funded by April 15th. Now, this is something that people forget about quite often. Let's say you have a couple and one spouse works and the other one stays at home and takes care of the kids, for example. And the spouse at work, well, they have a 401k. So there, they start losing the deductibility of an IRA after you guys make 92000 But the spouse at home, the non-working spouse, can still do a fully deductible IRA as long as your modified adjusted gross income is under 173000 so there's still limits there. And sometimes this is just taking money from one pot to the other to get the deduction. Okay. So you have to know these rules. Now, the other type of IRA that is very popular is also the Roth IRA. Now, in the Roth IRA, you make after tax contributions, but it grows tax free for the rest of your life. All right. So if you maxed out your 401k, um, you would rather look for tax-free growth for the rest of your life. In other words, you're young and you're not at a very high tax bracket and you would rather choose a Roth, hey, there's no problem. If you're married filing jointly, as long as your modified adjusted gross income is under 173000 you can make a full contribution. If you're single making under 110000 you can make a full Roth contribution. All right, so all of those are available to you as long as you make that under that number, or a full contribution rather is available to you. But again, you've got to get these opened and funded by April 15th. And $5,000 tax-free contribution, you know, if, if you're at 7%, you're going to double um, every, you know, 10 years or so. So if you're 40 and you're going to retire at 60, 65, so what's that? If you're, let's say, let's say even, let's go for a younger person. Let's say you're 30 years old. You're going to retire in 30 years. So it should double at least three times, right? So your $5,000 contribution becomes 10000 Then it becomes $20,000 and $40,000. That $5,000 contribution that you can make right now could be $40,000 tax-free by the time you retire. It's huge. Tax-free growth is great. So if you're trying to figure out which IRA you should do, maybe you're doing your own turbo tax and you're not really sure um, which type is right for you. It's a little bit confusing then I'll just email me, chat at chadburton.com, and I'll send you the irs.gov links that goes through the breakdown of which ones you're eligible for. Now, let's say you're not eligible for any of them. Let's say you make too much to fund a Roth. You make too much to fund a deductible IRA. What should you do then? Well, you could do what's called a backdoor Roth IRA, and I'll explain that, how that works. After the break, if you want to get your calls in there, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Money 2.0 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into Money 2.0. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. We were talking about IRA contributions. Deadline's April 15th even if you're filing an extension. So I was going over the rules for IRAs and Roths in terms of your modified adjusted gross income. I also want to point out uh, about the saver's tax credit. If you're wondering if you should make a contribution to an IRA and how it will affect your taxes, um, look it up. 
I'll, I'll explain it a little bit later in the show if I have some time. But what I want to talk about now is actually the opposite side of that, which is if you're a high income earner, you've maxed out your 401k. You're not eligible for a Roth IRA because you make too much, and which means you're obviously not eligible for a deductible IRA. What do you do? Well, if you're a person that does not have a large IRA account, and I'll explain that in a minute, what you should be doing is contributing to a non-deductible IRA. So just because you make too much money, you can still open up an IRA and fund it. But you make too much money, so you're not able to deduct it. You can still fund it. It's a non-deductible after-tax contribution. When you do that, you have to file a Form 8606. Then you could turn around, and as long as you don't have any other large IRA accounts, you can turn around and convert that to a Roth IRA tax-free. If you don't have any other IRA accounts, you can convert it tax-free. There's no income limits to a Roth conversion now. So rather than just making the Roth IRA eligible for everyone – the IRS has a bunch of stupid tax code that makes us have to do what's called the backdoor Roth IRA. So, for example, um, looking at uh, last week, a couple, and they're very high income earners. Uh, mo- they have a large taxable account. Uh, both have large 401ks. The wife has a large IRA, but the husband doesn't. They make too much money to fund a Roth. So for the husband, we're having them fund $5,000 into a non-deductible IRA, Files a form 8606. As soon as the account's funded and open, we immediately convert that contribution to his Roth because he doesn't have any other IRAs. It's a tax-free conversion. So it's a way for higher income earners to get a Roth IRA as well. So got a little bit of time left to do it. It's as easy as going into a you know local TD Ameritrade, Schwab, whatever office and getting the account open and funded. You just have to make sure you tell your CPA, tax advisor, and role agent about it if you're going to do it. Make sure they put it in your tax return and file that form 8606. So there's always a way to get it done. If you want to get your calls in there, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Right now I'm going to go to some emails though. Catch up on a little bit of emails. And by the way, you can email. If you're too shy to call in, it's uh, chat at chadburton.com. That's chat at chadburton.com. And this is from Orlando. Hello, Chad. I've been investing in a BlackRock California Muni Symbol B as in boy, Frank, F as in Frank, Z as in zebra. So B as in boy, F as in Frank, Z as in zebra. Investing in a BlackRock California Muni BFC bond for over a decade. Average weighting is double A minus. Do you think it's okay to hold and add more to this bond as interest rates rise in the future? Thank you, Orlando. This is a very interesting question because over the last decade, I mean, we're sitting in one – 2013 now, so 2003, you know, you started to get a bit of a real estate bubble, a slight increase in interest rates. But this is this is this is a problem because this this fund is a leveraged fund. It's a muni fund, California tax-free muni fund, yielding over five and a half percent. Okay, yielding over five and a half percent means. Two things. Either they're going out really long in terms of how long a bonds are they're buying. In other words, bonds that mature 20, 30 years out. And number two, there is leverage inside these these things. First of all, closed-end fund is it's like a mutual fund that trades like a stock. It's not an ETF though, because it's closed-end. It has just a limited number of shares that it offers. An ETF can be more shares, it can create more shares or take shares away, depending on the demand in the market. Closed-end fund, it's closed once it's created. So these things can also trade at either a premium or a discount. 
But the biggest issue in this fund, in this closed-end fund, simple BFZ, is the leverage. Now, if you look at what the bond fund, this closed-end fund holds, 20% of the portfolio has an, a maturity in the bonds that it owns of 15 to 20 years. 77% is 20 to 30 years. It's got a duration close to nine. What's that mean? What's duration mean? What's leverage mean? How does that affect it if interest rates start to rise? We'll talk about that coming after the, up after the break. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. We'll be right back. This is Money 2.0 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into Money 2.0. I'm your host, Chad Burns, Certified Financial Planner. So Orlando emailed me about BlackRock, California Muni, symbol BFZ. It's a closed-end bond fund. It's been in it for over a decade. Boy, you got to use Morningstar to look at holdings like this because 77% of the bonds, the closed-end fund's assets are in bonds that are 20 to 30 years out. The longer term the bond, the more sensitive it is to interest rates increasing. 20%. Is 15 to 20 years. So 97% of the portfolio is in bonds over 15 years long. The duration looks close to nine according to Morningstar. Now, what does a duration mean? And by the way, the, the credit quality rating is fairly decent. Double A minus. The fund doesn't really have a quality mandate, but the portfolio is currently geared towards the upper end of the credit spectrum with uh, basically 88% of the assets, either A or double A. So pretty decent credit quality. However, they're long-term bonds and they're using leverage. So in other words, they're using money, they're borrowing money at low rates to buy some of these bonds to increase the yield on the closed-end fund. So it's got a duration of nine, but I bet it's, it could be higher in a leverage situation if you have a rapid increase in interest rates, which I don't see in the next six months, 12 months out maybe. Duration is basically the measure of the sensitivity of, of the, the value of principle of a bond fund. So theoretically, if you have a duration of nine and you have a 1% increase in interest rates, because the way that bonds work is the price falls as interest rates go up. Because your bond that's paying, you know, three and a half percent isn't attractive as a new one paying four and a half percent. So the price falls. So a duration of nine theoretically means that if interest rates go up by 1%, you could have a 9% loss in principle. So Orlando, I don't know what your, the rest of your bond portfolio looks like. This is going to be a riskier portion of your overall bond portfolio. And if the Fed tells us that, hey, we're done buying at $75, $85 billion a month of bonds, we're going to see interest rates increase. And I would be willing to bet that a fund like this would start to lose some principal when rates are rising rapidly. So keep a very hawkish eye on this one. I think it's fine right now, but as soon as interest rates start to move, you get start getting well above 2% on that 10-year treasury. you got to gotch California bonds more specifically since it's a California tax-free bond. I would probably exit the position if rates start to go up. I want to get your calls in there, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Let's bring Brad on the line. Brad, how are you? Hi, Chad. Uh, thanks for the great advice as always. Uh, two questions. The uh, backdoor bond, uh, 866, is that something that can only be done once or can that be repeated year after year? And the second is if you're not above the 110 or 125 phase-out limit, can that be done on top of your uh, normal loss uh, compensation? Okay, good question. Brad, thanks for the call. Um, let me let me
say what Brad said again because it sounded pretty light on his cell phone. But first of all, he was talking about the backdoor Roth IRA, which if somebody makes too much money, um, that's the way you do a non-deductible contribution to an IRA. And as long as you don't have any other IRAs, you can then turn around and convert that to a Roth IRA and voila, you have a Roth IRA and it's a tax-free conversion as long as you don't have other IRA accounts. If you have other IRA accounts, you can still do it. Just portions of it can be taxable. And you can't do that on top of your other contributions, no. The total amount that you can put into IRAs for the year is 5000 if you were under 50 by the end of last year or 6000 if you were 50 by the end of last year. So some people need to do a combination. In other words, they need a deduction for a certain part. So they might do 3000 into a regular IRA, 2000 into a Roth, depending on their eligibility. You can't do it on top of. It's part of the whole overall contribution limit. And you can do that. If, if you find yourself unel- not eligible to fund a Roth IRA or a deductible IRA at the end of each and every year, you can do this each year. In fact, when I know... Right now, I know certain clients are not going to be eligible for it again next year. So I'm going, I'm having them fund their non-deductible contribution for 2012, their new, their non-deductible contribution for 2013, and we're going to convert it to a Roth as soon as the accounts are funded. Um, so no, there, you can do it each and every year. So if you want to get your calls in there, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Getting back to, Another email question is, this is from either MMA or Mojo. I, I get a couple of emails from, uh, from you, MMA or Mojo. That's what's in your email address. It'd be nice to have a name with the email. But, uh, Mojo or MMA, let's just call her Mojo. That sounds better. Him. Keep sending me these articles from a website called NerdWallet. NerdWallet.com. So giving a little plug for these, maybe, maybe Mojo is a part of this, <laughs> this group. And I tell you what, some pretty attractive ladies looks like they're heading up this investing nerd team at nerdwad.com. Uh, so good looking girls writing some pretty decent articles from what I found. Um, looks like it's kind of a site that tries to make financial information to the point, easy for people to understand. Kind of like it from what I've seen so far. And the article that was sent to me is, is another study that only 24% of active mutual fund managers outperform the market index. So this is this is that whole age-old argument, and I've got a couple of questions about this today, um, that in terms of this type of investing, what's better, indexing or managed mutual funds or managed accounts, individual stock pickers? Can a manager pick individual stocks and get better returns than say uh, just going with an index like the S&P 500 or, or the Wilshire 5000, which includes small, large, and mid. Can they do it? Well, study after study shows that very few can. I typically see numbers between 70 and 90% of mutual fund managers underperform their benchmarks. Now, what you have to look at on top of that is – what returns are they getting for the level of risk that they're taking? In other words, if you have one mutual fund manager that is able to achieve a 9% rate of return, and during that period they had 15% in cash versus the index, which had a 10% return but was 100% invested the entire time, well, that manager did risk management 
and still got a decent return. So it depends on what you're looking for. You have to look at other things in terms of upside capture ratio and downside capture ratio and volatility. The more wealth that you have, the larger your portfolio it becomes making sure that you're not going to get hit as hard as the overall indexes in a down market. With that said, most of you listening, until you have over $250,000, should really be only doing indexes. Now, what I do as a money manager, I've talked about this before. I'll talk about it again after the break. I'll tell you where I use indexing and where I use active management. We also pick stocks as well. So we do a little bit of everything. They all have their right places in a portfolio. I'll tell you more when we get back after the break. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. This is Money 2.0 on AM 1220 KDOW. Money 2.0. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. So talking about nerdwallet.com, somebody sent me a second article from nerdwallet.com. I don't know. Maybe they worked there, but pretty decent articles. It, I, I will say they're, they're well-written, easy to read. I like it. So check it out. doesn't seem like they're too salesy or anything like that. Um, but it's really an issue of only 24% of professional investors beat the market over the last 10 years. That's the point of the article. So most people should be in, in index-type funds, whether it be Vanguard or iShares Core Fund. Schwab has the ETFs that are extremely low cost. It's never been easier to start an investment program for low amounts per month. It's it's never been easier to buy ETFs for free. It's never been a, t- you know, a worse time to have an excuse because you look like an idiot. You really do. It's a matter of taking the time so you're not working to the day you die. You have to get motivated to do this. And until you get your first hundred to 250000 indexing is really the way to go. So learn about these new ETFs, new index, these index funds that have been around forever through Vanguard, for example. But as you start to build a portfolio, where do I go outside of indexing? Well, for my mutual fund ETF portfolios, I like indexing in the large cap and mid cap areas. That's where I find most managers can't really outperform in the long run the indexes. But when it comes to small cap international and emerging markets, I like managed funds. Those are the ones that I tend to be able to find easier, ones that consistently outperform their benchmarks. Uh, This leads me to another question from Mike. Mike was listening to this. I was just talking about this two weeks ago. I was talking about one ETF that I had looked at. I hadn't even bought it yet, but one ETF in the international area, which is a basic index fund that trades like a stock, it had a, a little twist to it. But his question was, what do you think about a person buying the iShares BRIC ETF? China is having some trouble now, but the diversification seems interesting. Is it a worthwhile long-term holding? See, this is a point right here. Why I don't like the, the iShares BRIC ETF, I would rather have – if I'm going to have international exposure, which I want anywhere from 15 to 30, 40%, if you're really aggressive and you're really looking out over the long run to where the middle class is growing, which is overseas, I would rather split my international investing partly in a really good developed country fund manager and the other half in a really good emerging markets manager because Emerging markets go through different areas where they go through periods of rapid growth and big inflation and currency issues. So the manager has to be very good at the currency, the political systems, and being able to know when to get 
out of or reduce that area to find another area of emerging markets to invest in. I don't think indexes are smart enough because they only trade or rebalance once a year. And when it comes to small cap emerging markets and international, only looking at a portfolio once a year and making a change seems ridiculous to me. Absolutely ridiculous. So when it comes to indexing in the long run, once you've built wealth, look again, once you've your first hundred to 250,000 indexing is fine. I wouldn't go with the brick. I would go for more of a, a, a EFA and a, and an EEM, which is more of the broad emerging markets and developed markets. I wouldn't just go with the brick, even though China in the long run is going to be probably pretty good after it gets through these problems in the, in the intermediate term. But when it comes to once you have wealth, then do a better job of looking for your funds and picking individual stocks that pay good dividends that increase their dividends on a long-term basis uh, and get outside the world of indexing so that you can protect yourself on the downside just as much as get a good portion of that upside growth. If you want to get your call, well, we're out of time. If you want to email me your question, just go to newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. You can submit your email questions there. Also, you can see that I'm going to be with Rob Black on the morning of April 27th at uh, the Doubletree in Burlingame. It's basically right by the airport there. It's wealth management and retirement planning in the morning. All things money 101 in the afternoon. If you're trying to build a base, go to the afternoon. If you have wealth you're trying to manage, go to the morning session. Find out more at newfocusfinancial.com. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. I'll talk to you next Monday or tomorrow morning on Rob's show, 7.30 a.m. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.